God before us, God beside us, God behind us, God above us. Be also now between us, a bridge through which your truth may move. In the name of the one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Seated. Life and death decisions. Archbishop of Canterbury, Robert Runsey, tells of a time where he was called to speak after a meal. And he was sitting at the table, and they were having their dinner, and he was sitting across from a woman, and he looked a little bit perplexed, maybe a little worried, out of sorts. And um, she said, are you all right, Your Grace? He said, yes, but I have to get up in a moment, and my leg has gone to sleep. I can't feel it. And I keep rubbing it, but that's not helping. And she said, blushingly, that's because that's my leg that you're rubbing. <laughs> now, I suppose that that could be a life or a death decision, couldn't it? Um, although he wasn't aware of it, right? Um, guess he thought his leg had just was totally numb. Um, how about this one? Go Niners! Yeah, well, stop it. That's enough of that. Um, the Super Bowl, and I grew up a Chiefs fan, as you know, but then I've kind of adopted the Niners because of my son. So I mean, that could be a life or a death decision, couldn't it? In some ways, that Roll Tide or War Eagle becomes a life or death decision for a lot of us, um, depending on the time of year. We make countless decisions. I mean, those are silly examples, but we make countless decisions every day about where we put our time, our energy, our attention. We kind of have this hierarchy of value um, that comes about, and we do it every single day, almost every hour of the day. I um, mean, the decisions that we make and what we do in where our attention goes, um, some put it on family, some put it on their job, and not that you do one, one's mutually exclusive of the other, it's just you put some attention, more attention to one than in the other. Maybe it's on the accolades or the acceptance of others. I, I heard this the other day about a study that they did by putting a camera in an elevator, and they um, were doing it to see how many people would look at their phones. And literally, even when somebody was in the, the elevator by themselves, or when they were in there with 10 other people, before the doors even shut, some vast majority, I, they said it was all, but I can't imagine that in the day of an elevator, that everyone immediately pulled out their phones to look at it, to check email, to text, wh whether it was just that they were nervous on being on the elevator with other people. So instead of just looking in the corner, they looked at their phones, right? But that's a place where they were putting their attention. And so we are ascribing importance to different things. And many times, and you've heard me say this before, we do this and we'll take something that's good and we'll put it in the place of the best, right? What gets the top spot? Sometimes we'll put something in the top spot that really belongs down at about number 10. You know, on a given Sunday in October, or Sunday, Saturday in October, I'll put 
Alabama football in the top spot, and you know, it probably doesn't deserve that top spot in my life, to be honest with you. You know, it's, it's a, did you hiss me? Did somebody hiss me? This is terrible. They're hissing in the choir now. But it probably doesn't belong at that spot. And you have heard me say this before, that sometimes I think we place things that are good in the place of the best out of a sense of security, safety, um, meaning. It gives our lives meaning, and we need that so badly that we'll take something that on an ordinary day is good, but it then becomes the best. We ascribe ultimate value to something that we expect will give us fulfillment, that will fill the void or the place in our lives, and it ultimately will serve as our functional God. We need a God, and every one of us has one. It's not always the God that we profess with our mouth. It's not always the God that we come in here on Sundays to worship. So we give our attention over to things in this life that will ultimately diminish us in ways seen and unseen. Think about it like this. Success becomes my functional God. The young man who says this, and this becomes the most important thing, even though he will say it's not, his actions say something else. Where his time is spent, say something else. He is not free to choose at the end of the day to go to his son's baseball game when faced with the decision of entertaining clients or that. The woman or the man who says acceptance is everything to me, it's where you're placing your energy, your thought, your time, when faced with the same choice, she is not free to choose, or he is not free to choose. If there is something very important, some function, some event that is the end-all, be-all, that becomes what drives their attention, their actions, what they choose, what they do. And these things will ultimately enslave us. They will ultimately empty us. They will diminish us. And you have heard me probably say this before, but I'll say it again. The most important decision that we will ever make, and I will repeat it. I don't like these where you, people repeat points they want you to know, um, but I'm going to repeat this one. The most important decision that you will ever make, the most important thing that we will ever do, is to decide who or what will function as our real God in life. Moses gives the people a similar choice in today's lesson from the Old Testament. We are in Deuteronomy, and we are at the series of sermons that Moses preaches at the end of his life. We can get into arguing whether it was really Moses or when it was written or when it was discovered and all those things. That's for a Sunday school lesson. We're going to take it at face value. Moses is saying these things at the end of his life, and he is commanding them or he's calling on them, charging the people to enter into a covenant relationship with God. Love God and walk in his ways. And he's probably a little worried, and for, for just cause. Because when the people are kind of left to their own devices, when their leader goes off for a little while, they get scared. And so they make a God to worship. Right? And you, you can't, uh, 
you know, you can, you can point fingers at them and say they shouldn't have done that, but they did it out of, a, they, out of fear. You know, what are we going to do now? Moses is going to, let's make a God and worship it. Because they wanted security. They wanted to know things were going to be okay. They wanted that void in their lives filled, so they created a God. Just like we create gods. And so Moses said, don't you see, this is a matter of life and death. It's a matter of what will ultimately fulfill you or what will diminish you. Because these things that you're throwing your time and your attention to in this life will never fill that void in your heart. And it's not like you're going to, like somebody's going to kill you, like a matter of life or death, so I'm going to, you know, cut your head off. But you will be a walking dead person. You will be so diminished in this life, thinking that this will give you satisfaction, that you will always have a hole in your heart. You'll always be searching, and you will always be living in darkness. Choose life or death. Choose your God. For the one who brought all things into being, the one who is the source of life, is standing before you. And it all, you know, they say that separation from God, which is sin, that all sin ultimately boils down to idolatry, which is worshiping another God. First commandment, I mean, God knew it. You shall have no other gods from, but me. And yet we place lots of other things in the place of God. We search this world for something, somewhere to hang our hat, to place our trust and to find security. And Jesus, I think, is talking about this choice as well in today's gospel. And let's just jump right into the deep end, shall we? It's what everybody heard. It's what everybody's wanting to know. He talks about lust. You have heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And it goes on. You can read it for yourselves. Wow. Aren't you glad you came to church today? <laughs> Brave the weather. <laughs> and he is talking about lust. But I don't think at face value what Jesus is saying is necessarily the only thing that Jesus means. I think he's dealing in hyperbole. He's talking about inordinate desire. He's talking about a desire that is out of control, that will ultimately take over your life. And he's not just talking about sex. He's talking about the lust that all of us have, that desire that all of us have in this life for those things, that thing that we place in the place of the most important. Be careful what you look at. Be careful what you are lusting for in this life. We used those examples earlier. Is it success? Is it acceptance? Is it whatever? Because it will ultimately take over your life one glance at a time. And he says, you'll go to Gehenna, which is interpreted as hell. And I can't help it, and I don't know about you, but when I think of hell, when somebody says hell, I think of, you know, you know blazes and, and flames. And then maybe the first thing that comes into my mind is, the, a man in a red devil suit with a pitchfork. It's from the cartoons I watched as a child, and I can't help it. I know better, and I still, that's a, still the first thing that comes into my mind today. But Gehenna 
And the word that was used, um, some believe that it was referring to a trash heap that was on the outskirts of Jerusalem. And they burned so much trash on this heap. So many things were placed there that it just stayed hot and smoky all the time. It never went out. It was the flame that was always there. It was always burning. A slow burn, right? Be careful what you look at, what you give your attention to. Because when you look at something and can't control it, it will take you over. You can only look or stare at it so long before your feet move in that direction and you act on your attention. And before you know it, the door that is cracked is wide open and it has taken you over and your life will be thrown on that trash heap. Gehenna. Right? And it will be a slow burn that will never die. And it will always be there, slowly but surely disintegrating your life. I say this all the time, and it's my, one of my favorite quotes by Frederick Beekner, Presbyterian theologian. If you want to know who you really are, as opposed to who you like to think that you are, look at where your feet carry you. If you want to know who your God is, as opposed to who you like to say it is, and I'm preaching to myself, look at where your feet carry you. Choose. Choose life. Make your yes a yes. The secret to the universe is near and it is waiting. God is waiting for us. There's a story about it. It's in the rise and fall of the Roman Empire. But Telemachus, who was a monk, and Telemachus wanted to live his life in pursuit of God, so he lived in, alone in the desert, praying, fasting, meditating. And one day as he prayed, he realized that his life was based on a selfish love for God, that these things that he was doing and giving up and were, were more for him and for his own self-satisfaction. So he decided to re-engage the world, and he went to Rome to be with people. If he were to serve God, he must also serve humankind. So when he arrived in the city, the Roman general Stilco had won a great victory over the Goths, and since Rome was officially Christian, this triumph brought people pouring into churches, into the city for celebration. And one pagan practice still lingered, and that was the gladiator contests. Only this time they didn't throw Christians in with the gladiators. They would make prisoners of war fight each other to the, to the death for the entertainment of others. And he jumped into the arena, the arena and he stood between two gladiators because he got there and he saw them and he thought, these are people that God died for. This can't be happening. So he climbed over the wall and stood in between them. And the next thing is somewhat predictable when you have kind of a bloodlust in your heart. The crowd started booing him. I mean, could you imagine... Someone, I've seen this happen at a game before where somebody like runs onto the field because you're mad at an Alabama-Auburn game. What do you think would happen? Ah, <laughs> oh, get him off the field. They started throwing Coca-Colas and, you know, stuff at him. Well, here they weren't throwing Coca-Colas at him. They were throwing stones at him. And the crowd stoned Telemachus to death. And it was so shocking that a hush fell over the whole stadium. 
And the game dissipated, and they canceled the rest of the games for that day. Three days later, the Roman emperor declared Telemachus a martyr and ended the gladiatorial contests. Edward Gibbons, the historian, observed the following about Telemachus. His death was more useful to humankind than his life. It's not always a decision quite like that, is it? Of literal life or death. And it doesn't always lead to a literal death. But it is a decision nonetheless. And those desires that rule our lives will fight back. Because they don't want to give up the top spot. They will throw stones at us to keep that door open and to maintain control. At least they do in my life. And a part of us will die. We will die to self and the expectations of this world. But we will also find our lives plucked off that trash heap of the slow burn. And the smoke will clear and we will have peace and we will have life. Because in the midst of it all, God will never leave you. In the midst of it all, regardless of your choice, God is waiting for us to turn. The love of God will never leave us. And it is hard to make that decision but we must make that decision nonetheless. There is a choice to make today. Will I make it? Or will I settle for something less? It is a matter of life and death. 